Alrighty, ready, ready. Okay, announcements are over. Let's get into some of this stuff. Okay, so um, I was going to move forward with the spiritual gift study, but I decided not to because I really felt like last week I wanted to spend more time talking about the last portion of your guys' study sheet because um, this is a issue that uh, is very, it's full of a lot of misconception in our world today, especially in Christianity. When it comes to more of the charismatic Pentecostal beliefs, when it comes to sign gifts, and especially with spiritual gifts, and I want to make sure you guys really understand this. Um, all the things that I am going to talk about in regard to this topic, I promise you I am not going to be condescending whatsoever. I want to be very, very biblical. The hard part about this topic and talking about um, healing, miracles, tongues, and interpretation of tongues is that it's very, very personal to people that have held these things before or continue to hold the belief to these doctrines. And so it is highly, highly offensive. I mean, just think about it. I mean, think about the things that you believe. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, um, you're wrong, and you've been wrong for a long time about what you believe, how would you feel? <laughs> yeah, pretty bad. You know, the same thing occurs when we're in other places in the world. Like, for example... The reason why it's very difficult to win people to Christ in a place like Ireland is because they are raised with a very Catholic environment. And not just them, but their whole lineage of, of their family going back, I mean, not just hundreds, but thousands of years have been Catholic. And so you approach them with a gospel that is contrary to the Roman Catholic Church, and you're not only telling them that if they continue to believe what they believe, that they will go to hell, but that all of their ancestors are going to hell and are in hell currently. I mean, that doesn't sit very well with people. And this is why you need to be very, like the Bible term is um, wise as serpents and harmless as doves. That's what Jesus told his disciples. Because you need to make sure that you're uh, giving the gospel and you're telling the truth and you're not afraid to tell people the truth. But you need to do it in a way that will actually be effective. There's a lot of idiots that are out there with biblical truth and they offend people all over the place and they win no one to the Lord. The point is not to be right and win all the arguments. Like, that's not the point. I mean, if you study the way that Jesus approached people, he loved people first, and he gave them the truth in the process. And there's a lot of people that will give people the truth and not love them, and it's highly, highly offensive. And there's some people that no matter how much you love them, you still tell them the truth, and they're still going to be mad. But that's just the way it is. And so you speak the truth in love. You don't love people and not tell them the truth. That is hypocrisy. And you don't tell people the truth and not love them. That's being brutal. You don't do that. Jesus didn't do that. We don't do that. We don't want to be hypocrites and we don't want to be brutal. We want to tell people the truth in love. And so I want to try to communicate these things as objectively as possible. But I also want to show you out of the scriptures because this is not my opinion. This is what the Bible says on this matter. Okay. So I want you to make sure that you know that and that you understand that. And as we get into this, if there's any questions you might have uh, in, in one way or the other, I want you to ask them because I want to make sure everything is absolutely clear. Okay, so let's just do a little bit of review. Okay, so we categorize all of our spiritual gifts into four different categories. You've got the revealing gifts, you've got the confirming gifts, you have the speaking gifts, and then you have the serving gifts. And we went through very briefly last week about which, what each of those are. And in the coming weeks, um, this is the start of the new year on Wednesdays, we're going to go through each group, and we're going to explain them more in detail, show you examples from Scripture about what they were and, uh, and what they are, and how those things actually work out in, in practical as far as real life is concerned. That's a lot of gifts. It is. Hey, can you sit up for me, please? Sorry. Okay, that's right. Okay, um, all right, and so then we talked a little bit about apostleship, 
and how with that one, that is a gift that is no longer necessary after the church in its proper order was established through the scriptures. And so we looked at Ephesians 2.20 where it talks about uh, the foundation of Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. And then you have the apostles and the prophets that are really the foundation of the church. And then once that foundation is laid, there's no need to have any more apostles and prophets. And we specifically talked about the fact that when it comes to the word of God, um, the word of God is the fulfillment of, I mean, it records all prophecy and it talks about everything that we need for life and godliness. So once you have a completed Bible, there's no need for me to have anything more from God. And very simply and very logical, what we talked about last week is the fact that if someone comes along and says that they have a, a word from God and they have this new prophecy or that God came and spoke to them or an angel came and talked to them or whatever, and they were to come to me to say, hey, and this message is for you. How am I going to know that that is actually from God? Okay, so I take what has been spoken to me and I compare it with what the Bible actually says because then I know for sure that that is a message from God. If I have to take a spoken word from somebody and compare it with the Bible, what need do I have for that person? I really don't need them. And so a lot of false religions, like when you go into Mormonism, um, and even other forms of Christianity that say that they got doctrines from angels and stuff like that. Let me just show you this really quick. Go to Galatians chapter 1. I want you to see this. Go to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Galatians. Right after First and Second Corinthians. Galatians chapter 1. I want you to see this because this can give you some confidence when you're talking to people that are in um, either different forms of Christianity where they receive revelation from angels or from visions or from dreams or anything like that uh, or other religions such as Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses or anything like that that claim that they actually receive their religion from uh, Gabriel or uh, Michael or anything like that. Okay, so in Galatians chapter 1, I want you to see this. Verse 6. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, because there's only one gospel. That's the point that he's trying to communicate here. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And then he says this statement, and he repeats it twice. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, then that ye have received, let him be accursed. So he even throws himself in here. He says, if we come in and we start preaching something that is contrary to what we've already given you, and a great example of that is the word of God, or an angel comes along and just pops open in your, in your bedroom and says, hey, what's up, I'm Gabriel. Um, I have this new religion thing that you need to follow. It's from God. It says, if anything pops up and says, and they preach a gospel or any other word from God that is contrary from what you have received, let him be accursed. It's accursed. And so that's how God feels about this. And so we need to have the same kind of mentality. And one of the things about charismatic doctrines when it comes to healing and speaking in tongues and all that kind of stuff is that you can never deny someone's experience. Never. Never, ever, ever. You can never deny what somebody has experienced. Because you weren't there. You didn't see. You have no idea. I've known plenty of people that have been in circumstances where they have been either healed or they've seen the healing being done. Me and my wife and I even talked about that. She was even healed at one point in her life 
because she was part of the charismatic Pentecostal churches. And we talked about that before we started dating, and, and I was very clear about that. I'm like, I can never deny her experience. Because who am I? How arrogant would it be for me to say, oh, that didn't happen? That's not the question. The question is, was it from God? That's the question. And that's what we have to discern, because according to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the devil has the ability to put on the appearance of an angel of light, and his ministers as ministers of righteousness. So if the devil can take on the appearance of an angel of light, and his ministers, which obviously are devilish and evil, can have the appearance of ministers of righteousness, how can you tell the difference between the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, or the angel of light, or the angel of light's ministers, which would be the evil workers and devilish people and trying to preach heresy, or Christ's workers. How can you tell the difference between the two? The word of God. It's the word of God. The word of God is the measuring stick for everything. And this is why we say at our church that the Bible is your final authority for everything, for everything, for everything. And just as just, I mean, just speaking from a logical perspective, why would we want a book to be our final authority for everything and not our experiences? Okay. And what, what difference does that make? Like, why would we want something that's written down black and white words? Our experiences are our flesh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Experiences are like things. They come and go. But like having a written thing, that is for sure. And it doesn't change. Yes. So the book exists regardless of how you feel. But your experiences, and we talked a lot about this a little bit last week. Your experiences, you can experience one thing about a circumstance. And you can have somebody else experience something completely different about the same thing. Like you have something unfold, but now all of a sudden you have a falling out because you have one group of people that feel this way about the same circumstance and another group of people feel a completely different way about the same circumstance. Case in point, Donald Trump, right? Okay, the political, the political realm today, you have one guy who says something and you have a group of people that take, oh my word, I can't believe he'd say anything like that. And then you have the people over here saying, what's the big deal? See, emotions skew facts. And that's why God wrote his word down so that way our emotions cannot skew the facts. Because it doesn't matter how you feel, it says what it says what it says. So that's why the word of God is our final authority. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what you think. What does the Bible say? And so we need to learn how to let the Bible be in charge. That it doesn't matter what you feel, it doesn't matter what you see, it doesn't matter what you experience, it doesn't matter what anybody else feels, sees, or experiences, what does the Bible say? And this is so important for you guys to get. And the reason why it's so important is go to 2 Thessalonians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2. Chapter 2. This is why it is so important, so important. So 2 Thessalonians, you had a group of uh, believers that thought that, um, that basically the rapture happened and they're going through the tribulation and the Antichrist is going to come. And so there's just, some, just a mixed bag of false doctrine that have infiltrated the church and caused them to be very, very uneasy. So Paul writes this epistle to them because he wants to cut through it all and say, all right, remember, and this is the truth. And in the process, he explains what's going to happen during the tribulation. And he's explaining what's going to happen with the Antichrist and the whole world and everything. 
And so one of the things he puts in here that's, that's, that really shows you a great example of why the word of God has to be your final authority is according to verse 7. Okay, we'll start off in verse 7. Okay, he says, For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked, notice it's a capital W, so it's a person, it's a proper noun. Then shall that wicked be revealed. That's the Antichrist. And that is the devil incarnate in the Antichrist. Be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now it's going to talk about the Antichrist. And it's going to talk about him, his character, the things he's going to do. In verse 9 it says, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness. So after the rapture occurs and when the Antichrist comes on the scene, it says according to verse 9 that the Antichrist is going to have the ability to have power signs in lying wonders. And the whole reason why he has those things is to deceive the whole world in thinking that he is God. When you study all this out, the whole purpose of the Antichrist is he wants the whole world to worship him. And he is actually going to put himself in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. And he's going to sit on the mercy seat of the Ark and the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. And he's going to declare that he is the Messiah, that he is God, that he is Jesus. That's the whole purpose of the term anti-Christ. He's going to make himself look like he is Christ. But one of the things that should make common sense is that if he's Christ, well, then he's going to have the ability to do signs and wonders. But they're going to be lying signs, lying wonders. And he's going to deceive the world in thinking that he is God so the world would worship him. Because just like Jesus came and did that, so he will come and he will do that. Jesus came and he worked. I mean, what kind of miracles did Jesus do? What did he do? He healed people. Yeah, the blind to see. What was the other one? Water and wine. The fish. Yep, he multiplied the bread and the fish. He fed the 5,000. Yeah, he raised someone from the dead. He raised himself from the dead, the Bible talks about. And did you know that the Antichrist is going to raise himself from the dead too? There's going to be an assassination attempt where someone's going to try to kill him, and he is going to be dead, and he's going to raise himself from the dead. The Bible talks about all this stuff. So... How are people in the tribulation going to know if that is the Christ or not? The Bible. Because Jesus put in Matthew 24 and the entire book of Revelation, he gave all the details of what was going to occur during the tribulation and about the Antichrist. So that way when they see it, even though they would see supernatural wonders and miracles and things unfolding, then they wouldn't be duped. It's like, no, 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 no. This is what God has said. And so they go back to the objective truth of the Bible to prove that what they actually believe is true. Yeah. I just wanted to point out, though, yeah. by, the end, by this time, if they didn't figure out the Bible then, it's going to be too dangerous to even have a Bible. And mm-hmm. so they're going to also be tricked and they're not going to read it and then they're going to burn it. And anybody caught with the Bible is going to die. Yeah, so. probably, probably. But God always has a remnant and he always has a witness. Always, always. Because even during this time, during the tribulation, there's going to be 144,000 Jewish male virgins that are going to go out through the entire world and they're going to preach the word of God to everybody. So that's another thing that's going to be. But yeah, you're right. It's going to be dangerous to even have a Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
Okay, so what we just read is that people that had the opportunity to receive the gospel, they understood it, but they did not receive it. They are going to be part of the people that, that because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved, they're going to believe that strong delusion. So I don't know exactly. I have my theories about what that strong delusion is, and we can talk about that later. We don't have time now. But um, they're going to believe whatever that strong delusion is that they might, might not believe the truth. So people that have heard the gospel clearly and have clearly rejected it now, if they are in the tribulation, they will not be saved because they rejected it. They're going to believe that strong delusion. But there's going to be plenty of people that have not heard the truth that when the 144,000 Jewish male virgins go out and they're witnessing throughout the whole earth, and then you have Moses and Elijah that come back during the tribulation, and they're going to be preaching, and they're going to be doing a lot of different things during that time. Um, there's going to be a lot of different converts. Now, they're not going to be born again like how they are today, and there's certain things that they have to do, and all that's outlined in the book of Revelation. But yes, there are people today that if they didn't hear it, maybe they heard it and they didn't understand it, or maybe they didn't have an opportunity during that time that they will have the opportunity to hear it and to be, you know, saved. Yeah. Okay. All right. But he'll never, but even though he see, even though it seems like he's going to win, he isn't. Because what, because when he doesn't, because when he doesn't expect it, God is going to come down from heaven. He's going to, he's going to kill the Antichrist. He's going to say, he's going to tell, show everyone that he is the true God. He's going to slay the Antichrist, burn him down to a million pieces, burn him to ash, ash, and then he'll bring everyone back to heaven, and it'll be, and perhaps one, perhaps he can, perhaps he can reborn the world again. But this time, he will not let sin enter the world. He will be prepared. Yeah, God wins. All right, okay, all right. So let's talk about this. I wanted to talk about that here because I wanted you to be able to see that even the devil has power, signs, and lying wonders. Okay? I want you to be able to see that. All right, That's very important because as God has that ability and he gives it to his disciples, but then Satan has that ability and he gives it to his disciples, how are you going to know which one is true and which one is not? And the whole point is, what does the Bible say? We need to go back to what the Bible says because that is the only objective truth that we need to hang on to. I need to get through this. So okay. just hang on to that until the end. Okay. All right. So the first point we, we covered very briefly is that sign gifts were temporary gifts given to unbelieving Jews to confirm the words and the works of God. And I wanted you to make sure that you really understand this. So the first time that sign gifts show up is in Exodus chapter four. And as you remember, I talked to you guys about that last week. The first mention, there's a, there's a rule of Bible study. It's called the law of first mention. That anytime that you can go back and, and you can say, okay, what is uh, the word sign? Where did that first show up? Well, if you were to take a you know, blue letter Bible or the Bible app on your phone, you were to search for the word sign. The first place it would bring you to is Exodus chapter four. And what you see is God defines what a sign is and what its purpose is. And then you see he actually uses that consistently throughout the scripture. So in Exodus chapter 4, we briefly talked about how Israel, were, uh, they were enslaved in, in Egypt and how they were going to be set free. And so Moses was like, how are they going to know that you sent me? Well, God's like, okay, fine. I'm going to give you the ability to do three different signs. And so when you show up and you tell them, I'm your deliverer, you do these three signs and they will believe you. So you had Jews that did not believe that Moses was their deliverer, he had the ability to do supernatural signs to prove to them that God is working, okay? So that's what we're talking about with a confirming gift. Someone showed up, Moses is like, hey, I'm here to deliver you. And they're like, yeah, right, prove it to us. Okay, here's three. 
First one, I've got this staff, throw it down, it becomes a snake. Pull it back up and it becomes a rod again. Second, I have the ability to heal because I'm gonna put my hand in my garment, pull it out, leprosy. And then I have the ability to heal it because I put it back in my garment and then now it's normal again. And the third one was pouring out water on the ground and it becomes blood. Because he did those three things, Israel was like, all right, I believe, you're our deliverer, let's go. Now, because that pattern existed, Moses told the nation of Israel that when the Messiah comes, he's going to be like unto me. He's going to do signs and he's going to do wonders. So when Jesus showed up, what did he do? Signs and wonders to prove to the nation of Israel that he was the Messiah. And even then, the Pharisees and Sadducees said, "Uh uh-uh. In fact, multiple times they said, Jesus, we want to see a sign of you when he's already done them. He already did signs and he already did wonders. The focus was not the sign and the wonder. When Jesus showed up to do a sign and a wonder, it was to confirm that he was sent by God so that way they would listen to him and obey him. In a lot of charismatic circles today, they do not do that. They do not do that. Because there came a point where Jesus is like, I'm not going to show you any more signs. Because they're not doing anything. You're not listening to me. You're not obeying me. That's the purpose of the sign gift is to confirm that's God's man. I need to listen to him. All right. And Jesus explained this, this exact same thing um, in Mark 16. Go to Mark 16. Mark chapter 16. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Mark 16. Mark 16. Okay. Mark 16. All right. Um, Ironically, if if you happen to have a a different translation of your Bible, if you have something other than a King James Bible, um, I believe it's like verse mm, 16 or 17 to the end of the chapter is completely missing. Um, But in the King James Bible, it's put in there. And there's a reason for it because God tells us what needs to be in there. Um, But I want you to be able to see this. All right. So it says... In uh, verse 15, Jesus speaking, tells the disciples, and he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs, there it is, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Okay, so there's multiple different sign gifts that he gives at that point in time, and it says it will follow them that believe. Then verse 19, so then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God, and then look at verse 20 carefully. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Okay? All right, do you see that? Okay, so when the word of God was spoken, it was confirmed to be God's words through those sign gifts. And those sign gifts were, it says in verse 17, they're going to cast out devils, they're going to speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents, if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them, they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Okay, so those are the different sign gifts that are given directly in, in Mark chapter 16. So you see, that's why they're called confirming gifts. All right, everybody got that? Okay, all right, so that's the whole point of Mark 16, all right? I want you to see that. We're going to start piecing things together. So we have that concept, and then we're going to compare that with Scripture, and then marry those up, and then compare it with Scripture to come up with the whole picture of what this biblical doctrine actually is. Okay, everybody with me so far? Okay, I'm really warm up here, so hopefully you guys are hanging in there. I'm getting confused, actually. 
That's okay. All right, we'll, we'll just get what you can and we'll keep moving. All right, okay. Now, uh, we have that, and then I want you to go to, we've already talked a little bit about Acts chapter 2. Um, let's go to, mm, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Okay, 1 Corinthians 1, someone read verse 22. Reese. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks shall, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Okay, so this verse tells us very specifically, Jews require a sign, and we just explained that. Exodus chapter 4, how do we know that you're from God? Well, there's three signs I'm going to give you. Okay, now. Take that and you marry that up with Mark chapter 16. Who are the people that Jesus is around at that time? The Jews. The Jews, okay? He's not around any Gentiles. Where's the first time in the Bible you see a Gentile get saved? Acts what chapter? Nope, keep going. Nope. <laughs> Ten. Ten. Okay. Acts chapter 10. Until Acts chapter 10, no Gentiles were saved. And it's not that they couldn't per se. I mean, there were some things that needed to happen, but that's just how things unfolded because Jesus was sent to the Jews first. He was sent to the Jews first. He was sent to redeem them. And through their redemption, they were supposed to go and preach unto the Gentiles. Okay? And you don't see Gentiles getting saved, born again at all, until Acts chapter 10. So when Jesus says, hey, you're going to go and you're going to preach the gospel to every creature. And it says, when they went out, they preached the word of God everywhere. The Lord working with them with signs following because they were preaching the word of God to Jews and the Jews required a sign. Okay, that's very important because the second part of this is the Greeks seek after wisdom. There's two lines of thinking in this world. There is the Jewish line of thinking and there is the Gentile line of thinking. Okay, we are Gentile thinkers. This is who we are. We think very linear. One, two, three, A, B, C. And some of us more than others, you're called OCD. We need things to make sense. We need things to make sense. Jews, it does not matter. They do not need things to make sense. They don't. It's just the way they think. They have a different mindset. It's a very Eastern mindset. They don't need things to make sense. They're like, how do I know this is actually true? Well, let me see a sign. Because Jesus proved them through signs, through logic, through everything he possibly could, and they just outright rejected him. We are Gentiles. We need things very, very logical. Very logical. Jews, nope, they need a sign. Doesn't matter how much it makes sense, they need a sign. Okay? That's why Jesus gave his disciples and the apostles the ability to do signs and wonders to confirm the word that they were preaching. Because once you have Acts chapter 10 and you keep moving on, the farther you move into Acts, the less and less signs you see. To the point where Paul did not have the ability to heal one of his dear friends and he left them sick in Miletus. When Paul clearly had the ability to heal people prior, he clearly had the ability. I mean, there was a kid that fell out of a window while he was preaching all night and he was dead and Paul rose him from the dead. So Paul had these abilities, these, these spiritual gifts that God gave him. But then you find out the latter part of his ministry, as God was moving away from the Jews unto the Gentile, that he did not have the ability to heal but you got to understand what was the whole purpose of healing. It is a sign gift, okay? 
Very important. It's a signed gift, and it is for who? Jews. Jews okay? Because Jews require a sign. All right? Now go to chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. Okay, now this one specifically talks about tongues, but this also fits with all the other sign gifts that Jesus defined in Mark 16 and in other places as well. So I'm going to read verse 22 of 1 Corinthians. Timmy, 14. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. For prophesying service, not for, not for them that believe not, but for them that Okay, so wherefore tongues are for a sign. So there we know tongues is a sign gift. Not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Now, okay, this is why you got to compare scripture to scripture. Chapter 1, verse 22 says that sign, the, the sign gifts are for Jews. Okay, 14.22 says that they are not for believers, but Unbelievers. So you put those two together, sign gifts, tongues, healing, other things like that, interpretation of tongues, uh, all that stuff. They are for unbelieving Jews. Okay? Every time you see tongues in the Bible, it is always in the presence of unbelieving Jews. Every single time. I'm not saying unsaved unbelieving okay unbelieving unbelieving for many different reasons now we went through acts 2 briefly last week let's do it again go to acts chapter 2 because now that we've seen that now let's marry this back up with what happens in acts chapter 2 acts chapter 2 okay So Acts 2 defines what tongues actually is, and you will see that it is in the presence of unbelieving Jews. All right, here we go. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues... So there it is. There's the other tongues. We're going to talk about what that actually is here in a minute. As the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem. What does it say? Jews. Jews. Jews, Devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude, who's the multitude? The Jews came together and were confounded because that every man, they were Jews, heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? And then it explains all those different lands, the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, the dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia and Egypt, and the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, which proselytes are Gentiles that have converted to Judaism. So they are Jews, Cretes and Arabians. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. Okay, so supernatural gift of tongues. It is not a gibberish babble that is happening in churches today. According to Acts chapter 2, it is the supernatural ability to speak in a known language that you did not know otherwise. 
And I have that on your guys' study sheet. So tongues is a supernatural gift to speak a known language that is unknown to the speaker. Now, we know exactly what those known languages are because of this description in verse 9, 10, 11. So the Jews are in the upper room. They were Galileans. They were from the area of Jerusalem. They spoke Hebrew, and I'm sure they spoke other different dialects and other different languages. But when they came down and they began to preach the wonderful works of God, talking about Jesus, their Messiah, and that he was crucified, basically the summary of everything that that Peter was about to preach in Acts chapter 2. And they came down and they began to share the wonderful works of God. It would be like, okay, let's say I'm one of the disciples in the upper room. I come down and I have an opportunity. I'm on the street and I meet someone and say, hey, do you got a minute to talk? And they stop and I get like four or five people. And all of a sudden I'm speaking Hebrew, but I all of a sudden have the supernatural ability to speak something completely different. And let's say out of the five people that I have, I'm speaking Hebrew as far as I'm concerned, but what they hear is the language of the Parthians and the language of the Medes and the language of the Elamites, even at the same time, okay? Because God is trying to get their attention. And did he get their attention? Yes. This is exactly what they said. They're like, wait a minute, aren't these people Galileans? How in the world are we hearing the language from our native country? They don't know our language. They don't know our dialect. How in the world did they know it? And then look what happens. It says in verse 12, and they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? See, this is a sign gift. This is a revealing gift. This is that uh, part of that, sorry, the confirming gift. They're getting, God's getting their attention because now they have this supernatural ability to speak this language. And now they're stopped and they're like, What's going on? What does this mean? This is weird. We've never experienced this before. So now the whole crowd, and we're talking like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, they are now all stopped and their attention is towards this group of people. And then what happens? What happens? Verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, and then he preaches his message. So the whole point of tongues was you have this crowd of unbelieving Jews. They're hearing the messages of God spoken in their own native tongue. They stop and they're like, what in the world is going on? And then Peter stands up and he says, what's happening here is God. And I have a message for you. And he preaches Jesus Christ about how they crucified their Messiah, their only hope. And then they stop and they're like, well, what shall we do? We've crucified our Messiah. Repent. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus and you will be saved. There's no Gentiles here. There are no Gentiles here. Only unbelieving Jews. And the whole purpose was to stop the crowd so they hear Peter so that thousands could be saved. Got it? Okay, that's Acts chapter 2. A lot of charismatics and people that believe in these sort of Pentecostal doctrines, they will not accurately go through Acts chapter 2 like this. They won't. Because if they accurately go through it, they'll find out that what is happening today in churches as far as speaking in tongues are concerned is not this. It's not the supernatural ability to speak a known language that was previously unknown to you. It would be like, a, you know, I mean, we could pick, you know, you guys speak Chinese and you guys speak Spanish and you guys speak, you know, Greek. Right. And I come over and I all of a sudden I'm speaking English. You hear me in Chinese. You hear me in Spanish. You hear me in Greek. It's that supernatural ability, all right? Do I think that God could do something like that today? Sure, but biblically speaking, it's in the presence of unbelieving Jews. And I guarantee you what's happening in places around today 
and Assemblies of God churches and other Pentecostal charismatic churches, it is not for unbelieving Jews. It's not. It's not for unbelieving Jews. And it says that in chapter 14, verse 22. It's not for believers. It's for unbelievers and specifically unbelieving Jews. All right? And every other place that you see it in Scripture, it's always an unbelieving Jew. Let me show you a couple more places because I want you guys to really get this. All right, so Acts 2 is the big one. Go to Acts chapter 10. That's another place we see tongues show up. Acts chapter 10. Okay. Whew. All right, Acts 10. You have Cornelius. He's a Gentile. Uh, he and his house, Peter, has been called by God to go and preach the message of Jesus Christ to Cornelius and his whole family. And as a result, they end up getting saved. And so he ends up speaking to them. And the, the verse that we want to focus on is verse 46. But let's, let's bring it back just a little bit. Okay, so, all right, verse 42. So he's, he's sharing about who Jesus is. And in verse 42, it says, And he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remissions of sins. And then all of a sudden, the Spirit of God completely interrupts his message. And it says in verse 44, While Peter yet spake, on, spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, and they heard them speak with tongues and magnified God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. Okay. So you have Jews came onto a group of Gentiles. Peter preaches the gospel and all of a sudden the Holy Ghost comes in and dwells the people because they believe, they believe in the message that Peter preached and they began to speak with tongues. Now tell me, who are the unbelieving Jews in Acts chapter 10? Um, what is it? Cornelius. Nope, because he's Gentile. Who's the unbelieving Jew? Remember, I said not necessarily salvation. Who is the unbelieving Jew? Uh, Peter. Peter. And? His wife. Nope. They have the circumcision. Ah. See, the Jews didn't think that Gentiles could get saved. And so now Peter's preaching this message of the gospel. They hear it. The Holy Ghost indwells these guys. They begin to speak with tongues. And Peter's like... Huh, they've received the Holy Ghost as well as we. And they that were of the circumcision with him, they were, it says they were all amazed. Look at it again. Verse 45, And they of the circumcision, Jews, which believed, so they already were believers, were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. So here, the unbelieving Jews was Peter and those other Jews that were with Peter. So when these Gentiles spoke in tongues, it confirmed that, yes, Gentiles can get saved. Do you see it? So that is the sign for the unbelieving Jew. All right? Okay. Now let's look at the next place where we see an unbelieving Jew in tongues. Go to chapter 19. Acts 19. Uh, before we go any further, uh, I, I always thought my therapists are always guarding angels for me. But since you said that um, the devil couldn't take many forms, does that mean my... Uh, Therapists are all tricksters? No, not necessarily. But we can talk about that. That'd be a separate topic altogether. So we can talk about that. No, but so. No, no but I don't think so. Yeah, I don't, I think, don't so. think so either. Okay, Acts 19. All right, Acts 19. Okay. Now, 
Man, we're going to go way over. All right, so let me do this one, and then we'll be done. If we have any more questions, then we'll talk about it, all right? Okay, um, all right, so here you have in Acts 19, which, by the way, because of the hour, if you guys do need to go, if you're going to get in trouble with your parents, please, I'd rather you guys go and not get in trouble. So I want to explain this one, um, but if you need to go, please don't feel bad, all right? Okay, so in Acts 19, we have Apollos, and he comes in. Now, prior to this, you have Apollos at the end of 18, where he preaches. And so look at verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, being fervent in the spirit, and he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. So this guy, Apollos, mighty preacher, but he only knew the baptism of John. What was the baptism of John? Anybody know? John the Baptist. What was his message? No, not to get saved. Because he wasn't preaching a message of salvation. What was he doing? What was his role? To uh, not warn, but, you know, tell everybody that Jesus, or the Messiah, was coming. Was coming. So that means the Messiah was not there yet. So Apollos is preaching a message that says the Messiah is coming. Wait a minute. This is Acts 19. Didn't the Messiah come? Yes, the Messiah came already. So Apollos is preaching a false gospel. He's preaching only the message of John the Baptist, which John the, Me- John the Baptist's message was, the Messiah is coming, repent and be baptized because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah is coming. Okay? So he's preaching this message. And then it verse says in verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. Okay. So you have Aquila and Priscilla. They're already born again believers. They hear Apollos preaching the baptism of John message. They pull Apollos aside and they say, oh, okay, I don't want to offend you, but the Messiah came already. You're preaching that he's coming, but he came already and his name was Jesus. And they began to explain the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. And not only did he come, he was killed, he was buried, he rose again from the dead. And then he gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit for us to go and preach unto all the world. And now even Gentiles are getting saved. Can you imagine Apollos' mind just went, I mean, exploded. Because now he's like, oh my goodness, I've been preaching a false gospel. I was preaching the Messiah was coming, but he already came. So now Apollos receives Aquila and Priscilla's preaching, teaching, and he ends up getting saved himself. Now that he knows the gospel, now he goes back out and now he's preaching the gospel. But notice, where was he at in verse 24? He came to, verse 24 of chapter 18. Look at it. He was from Alexander, but where did he go? Ephesus, okay? So he's preaching the gospel of John at Ephesus. So while he's at Ephesus, are there people that are going to believe his message about John the Baptist and what John the Baptist said? Yes, okay? So he would have had his own disciples in Ephesus that had not heard the whole message yet, okay? Now look at chapter 19. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. And he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost, because they only believe the the message from the baptism of John. You see that? Okay. So then he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. See, they were Apollos' disciples. 
So they did not get the full picture. They did not get the whole message of who Jesus was and that the Messiah already came. Verse 4, Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. See, even Apollos had twelve disciples. You notice that? And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. So, we already know tongues are a sign for unbelieving Jews. Who are the unbelieving Jews in Acts 19? Uh, Technically, Apollos. No, Apollos isn't here right now. Okay, so the disciples of Apollos end up getting saved to confirm to themselves that they actually received. Who else? Who else is the unbelieving Jew here? Paul. You got it right? Should have spoke up. It would have been Paul. Because remember what Paul said? He finds certain disciples. Have you received the Holy Ghost? Well, we've never heard anything like the Holy Ghost. What is that? Well, then what were you baptized? Well, the baptism of John. Okay, the baptism of John was a message that the Messiah is coming. Let me explain to you Jesus. They receive that. They then get baptized in the name of Lord Jesus. They receive the Holy Ghost, and now they speak with tongues. So now Paul knows that they are genuinely born again. Do you see that? Every time you see tongues show up, it is in the presence of unbelieving Jews. And it only shows up in these places, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, and Acts chapter 19. That's it. And it's always with unbelieving Jews. The other place where tongues show up in the Bible is in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we don't have time to really work through this, but... um, in that, in that context, it is with unbelieving Jews as well because there were Jews within the synagogue, but you also find out that the people of Corinth, they were just messing everything up. They were messing everything up. One of the places you do not want to get your doctrine is from 1 Corinthians because they were doing everything wrong. They were doing everything wrong, and he had to correct them on everything. The marriage and the family, how to deal with sin, what to do with communion. I mean, everything, everything. Every chapter is a rebuke from Paul toward, towards the people of Corinth, uh, of Corinth about what they were doing wrong and what they need to do to fix it. So we don't have time to work through all the other ones, but in, in 1 Corinthians 14, that's the only other chapter where tongues shows up um, in the New Testament outside of the ones we've already looked at. And, uh, and the context is always negative, and he rebukes them for what they're even doing. So we would have time to look at that, but we just don't have any more time. Okay, so before we leave this topic, is this clear? I want to make sure this is clear. Are there any questions at all about this? Because what's happening today in churches, in local churches, it is not, it is not confirming God's word and work for unbelieving Jews. And let me tell you, what we did, I remember when Megan and I were working through this, because she was healed at one point, um, and it was with some charismatic stuff, and she'd experienced tongues and other things like that. What I did was I showed her these, these things, and I said, okay, I cannot deny your experience, but let's just look at what the Bible says. When that happened, were there any unbelieving Jews present? And she's like, Mm-mm. okay, then is it possible that it wasn't from God? That's all I asked. Because I'm not going to be one to come in and say, oh, that's blasphemy. No, no, no. What does the Bible say? Remember, objective, non-emotional. And that's all I asked. And she started working through that. And then she's like, yeah, it is possible that wasn't from God. Because she fell from two stories off of a roof and broke her leg. And people gathered around her, put their hands on her and prayed. And she felt her leg pop back together. 
Okay. I've never had that happen to me before. I've never experienced anything like that before. But I cannot look her in the eye and say, that didn't happen. How could I do that? But what can I ask? What does the Bible say? And I was very loving. I was very gentle. I'm like, were there any unbelieving Jews present? Well, no. Well, then is it possible that it wasn't from God? She's like, yeah, it is possible. And then she got mad. She got mad because she felt like the devil was taking advantage of her to keep other people deceived in false doctrine. She got really mad. You can talk to her about that later. So we, it's very important we go back to what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? That's the big thing I want you guys to take away from this. What does the Bible say? How do you know that what you believe is true? You go back to what does the Bible say? You've got to go back to what the Bible says. If you do that, then you will be safe, no matter what you believe. All right, let's pray. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me separately, or you can come up and talk to me or whatever, all right? This is a very important one. I hope you guys really understood this. God, thank you for your word, and thank you that it is something very sure that we can hang on to with our life. Um, And I pray, God, that you would give us more and more confidence in your word. Thank you for loving us the way you do, and you're so patient and gentle with us, and I pray, God, that we would do uh, our due diligence to be faithful stewards of the things you've given us, that we work hard to rightly divide the word in order to really understand the things that you have for us. Um, There's a lot of people that are mishandling your word and twisting it to make it say the things that they want, but we need to let your word speak for itself. So thanks for tonight. I pray that this was encouraging to all of us, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.